The text for this morning's sermon is Luke 22, verses 14 through 23. Luke 22, 14 through 23. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, or this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Uh, Father, I ask that you would give me supernatural Holy Spirit ability to describe something of the love of Christ through the Lord's Supper that Christ gave us and his disciples. Father, I pray that you would do a work in hearts, that we would know your love, and that we would be encouraged, Father, that you would draw broken sinners to your throne in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Way back in 2001, for six months of that year, I had in my bedroom a green little velvet box that I would pull out almost every night and I would open it up and I would look at an engagement ring. And why did I have it for six months? Because I didn't think she would say yes when I bought it, for sure. I had to wait long enough that till I felt like Laura was ready. And I'll never forget the day I had the plan. It was June 30th, 2021. I'm in the living room at Laura's parents' house. We're about ready to go to her grandparents' farm in Lowry, South Dakota for a few days. And I was nervous. I just wanted to get to this moment when finally I could ask Laura to marry me. 
and just right on par with what's normal in the Johnson household is if you're supposed to leave at one, you're leaving at four in the afternoon. And I'm going to ask her to marry me in the pasture of the farm. I, I had a plan that I had wood burned into some deer antlers. Laura, will you marry me? Believe it or not, this is before I was a deer hunter. The only thing I had killed at this point was ducks and geese and pheasants. So it might even have been prophetic in some ways. But the summer before, we had found deer sheds out on the farm. And I took one of those and I had Laura's dad place it out there in the pasture. And uh, after supper, we were going to go for a walk. And I could not eat <laughs> for anything. Laura's grandma's wondering what's wrong with the food why I am not eating. And yet, I was struggling to eat because I had never been to a moment like this in my life before. <laughs> so much was going to happen in a very short amount of time when I was going to ask Laura to marry me. And... The text that is before us, in your Bibles it says the instituting the Lord's Supper. That sounds so boring. That sounds so uh, academic. Oh, here's where he institutes the Lord's Supper. What has been going on this week in Jesus' life? What has been going on the three years previous with Jesus and these men has been incredible. The fellowship has been incredible. We live in a world where so many men have never experienced brotherhood. If you played sports, maybe, or you fought in war alongside brothers, men, where you became close and you have this fellowship, this is what they had. And this is the last meal that Christ is going to eat with them until the kingdom comes back upon this earth. And he wants to tell them, I love you. I am yours. Look at this ring. Look at this symbol that I give you of my love for you. But it's not just that. It's not just that. Imagine someone on death row. You have one last chance to talk to your loved ones. Because you're going to die. And you're not going to see them again until eternity. And what if you were to stand in the room and just watch the conversation between loved ones the last moment? It's also that. What I felt in the on the day that I was going to ask my wife to marry me and what 
a family member would feel knowing that they're going to be executed and they're not going to see their family again. That's all here. And what about exposing one of your closest friends and pointing out the betrayer? That is here. Instituting the Lord's Supper. These are people. Jesus took on flesh. He is the Son of God. And we must use our minds and imagine what it would have been like because Jesus is talking to you too in this supper that he has with his disciples. So this week, we're going to see the Lord's Supper given to his disciples and to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to consider the meaning of it. We're going to look at the narrative of it, try to grasp something of the meaning of it next week. In light of understanding what Christ did, we're going to consider the administration of the Lord's Supper within the local church. We're going to look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, how they made a mess of it, and how he emphasized the meaning and then tried to, tried to correct it. We're going to think about how it has to do with worship fellowship with other believers and discipline. We'll do that next week. This week, we're just going to get into the narrative of what is taking place. Look at verse 14. Luke 22, verse 14. And the charge of this message is to look, feel, smell, taste, and be satisfied in Christ's love for you. And we're going to look at six aspects in this text that we can examine. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. If you can see this in the original, it's even more dramatic than it sounds in the English. <laughs> it says, and he said to them, epithemia, epithemasa, mesa. I desire upon desire. You don't know how great my desire is to eat this meal with you. You have no idea. The word desire means crave, to lust for, to desire. What kind of fellowship, what kind of brotherhood was here with Christ and his apostles? We're going to see in this text that Christ wanted to teach them. He wanted to educate them. He gave them an emblem or a a sign of his love. 
He made a covenant with them in his blood, a sort of engagement promise. We see the exposure of Judas. The execution of Christ is what's looming in the meaning of the emblems, the signs, and we see the expectation of a day when they will eat and drink together in the kingdom of God. So we see the expectation. So let's look at this. Look at verse 16. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I think they would understand this just plainly. They're going to eat and drink really in real bodies with Jesus in his real body on the real earth. I think it's in the millennial kingdom of God. In verse 6, he says, I tell you, I will not eat it. Well, what is it? Look at verse 15, this Passover. So I believe Christ will eat a Passover meal with his people again in the kingdom of God. And it will point to his fulfillment of all things and the joining together of fellowship. And then in verse 17, it says, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. It's interesting. They're ministering it to each other. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But, behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. For the Son of Man, for the Son of Man, goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to question one another, which of them it was who is going to do this. And so this meal takes place over hours. All the content uh, through the rest of 22 up until verse uh, 39 takes place at this supper. Everything from John chapter 13 to 17 takes place at this supper. And a Passover supper had its form. There was four cups at the Passover supper. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'll just tell you, it, it began with an opening prayer of thanksgiving. And then the first cup was drank. It's a cup of blessing, uh, sanctification, ceremonial washing of hands after the first cup. The After they did that, they ate bitter herbs dipped in bread with paste, symbolizing the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. Then they sang 
the first two of the Hillel Psalms, Psalm 113 and 114. After this was the second cup. And as that was drank, the father explains the meaning of the Passover lamb, how the wrath of God fell upon the lamb. And then they ate the main meal where they ate the Passover lamb with the unleavened bread. Then they drank the third cup, which is the cup of redemption, and they sang Psalms 115 through 118, the rest of the Hillel Psalms. And then the fourth cup represented the cup that will be drank in the kingdom of God together. And so this took place over time. Let's look at six aspects we see in this supper. First of all, education. So he's teaching them. Even in our text that we're looking at today, he's obviously teaching them the meaning of the Lord's Supper. But what I want you to see and what we're not going to dive into today is he also teaches on who is the greatest? If you look at the headings in your Bible, he foretells uh, Peter's denial. He teaches them that Scripture must be fulfilled. Uh, if you were to look at John, this is where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine, John 15. He taught them that the world's going to hate them. He taught them that the Holy Spirit's going to come and teach them things they can't bear now and bring back to remembrance things they have forgotten. He teaches them that their sorrow will be turned to joy, that he's overcome the world. And then he prays the high priestly prayer. There's teaching involved. We see the education. And then we see the sign or the emblem. It was interesting. I listened to a Sinclair Ferguson sermon on the Lord's Supper. And it was so helpful how he talked about the sign. What's the big deal with the supper? If I already know the gospel, why can't I just believe the gospel? What's the big deal with partaking in the Lord's Supper? Ferguson says, he teaches students. He says, sometimes... Students will say to him, I don't need any of these signs because God's word is enough. To which he says that would be okay if God thought it would be enough. In fact, he said, try it out on your wife sometime. You go home and tell her four times a day you love her, but for six months you don't touch her. You don't tap her on the shoulder. You don't squeeze her shoulders. You don't hold her hand. You just say, I love you. You just give her words and find out if words are enough. Jesus had a relationship with human beings. And as human beings, we need words and we need signs of affection. Symbols and signs are powerful in communicating love 
and affection for one another. God has always given signs to his people when he would make a covenant with them. What was the covenant with Noah? What was the sign? It was the rainbow in the sky. God could have just said it, but he also gave them the sign that it's true. As Ferguson says, it's nice when we can hear God's love and promise through the ear gate, but it's also nice getting it through the eye gate, being able to, to see it and to be able to feel it. We're people and God knew what we were like. He made us. He knew that signs were going to be important to communicate his promises and his love. In the Mosaic Covenant, he gave many signs. Probably uh, the most basic sign of the Mosaic Covenant was the Sabbath day. Where God does the work and you are going to rest. And then the sign of the Abrahamic Covenant was circumcision. The sign of the Davidic Covenant is there's going to be a son on your throne for ever. And so it's no surprise that as Christ looks at his followers, that he gives them something tangible, something visible, something they can look at. God could have just said, I forgive your sins in Christ. And we need to hear that and we need to know that. But God thinks you need to remember in a way that you can remember by holding it and smelling it and looking at it. If you know what it means, it's so powerful. When I look at this ring, I don't say this is my marriage. But what I know is what this ring represents, a covenant made. Love that I'm committed to until death. And so I look at this and I don't say, oh, look at my marriage, it's amazing. What I think of is the commitment Laura and I have made to each other before God in Christ. And so what are the signs? What, what does he give us in this text? Let's look at it. Look at what he says in verse uh, 17. He took the cup when he had given thanks. He said, divide this among yourself. For I tell you that from now on, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. And in those words, what you need to know is that that bread is pointing to the substitutionary atonement of Christ 
a man is sinned, a man must die. God must punish man for sin. And that bread represents a body that God has prepared to be given to man in man's stead place. It points to his substitutionary, sacrificial death. Jesus had a body. That body was prepared to be sacrificed in our place. And as Jesus gives it to them, he's saying, look at my love for you. I'm willingly going to a cross to die in your place. When you eat, I'm not going to eat it again. All this face-to-face fellowship where we can hug and we can pat each other on the back and we can joke and punch each other in the arm, whatever it looked like, that's going to be no more until the kingdom of God comes. But I'm giving you something. I'm giving you this bread so that you know I love you. This bread represents what I'm about to do. I'm going to go die in your stead place on that cross. The covenant promise I'm making with you can only be made if I go get executed on the cross. That's the way it's fulfilled. And you're not left with nothing. You're left with something tangible to look at. 2,000 years later, we have something to look at and feel and smell and taste and eat it. And obviously, it's an emblem. It's not his body. His body's there. This is my body. It's not this here. It's this. No, it's the sign. They understood this. All throughout the Old Testament, God had given signs of his covenant. And not only does it show that we're identified with Christ in his death so that we never have to fear going to hell under the wrath of God, but we're identified into his body collectively. Christ being the head. So when we partake of this, we remember it's not just me and God. It's us that we're saved together. To love your brother is to love God. To not love your brother is to not love God. And so this is why it's called communion. We do it together. It's not merely a memorial service where we say, oh, remember that guy, Jesus, that did that thing on that cross? It's not just that. Communion is, I still love you. I'm coming back. The kingdom's coming where we're going to do this face to face. You see that? If all you do when you partake in communion is just merely remember a guy named Jesus back then and don't realize what he's saying to you and the promise he's saying to you in the present. We miss it. It's communion with God. And because we have communion with God, 
in Christ, in one spirit, we have communion with one another. This is why we don't do this at church camp. And this is why we don't just do this uh, flippantly. It's because it represents the body collectively in Christ. And then he says in verse uh, 20, likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is where I feel like I'm just going to fail you as the preacher. <laughs> this blood is the new covenant. It's, it's just the new covenant in my blood. Study the new covenant. It, that's everything. Every spiritual blessing is yours in the heavenly places. Ephesian church, Christians. Do you, do, do you understand that? Everything good is yours in Christ's blood. And the new covenant is inaugurated. It comes into establishment. The old covenant goes out. The new is here in his blood. In his death, that's the way it's cut. This is why I say it, it, it's your new resurrected body. It's your living forever face to face with God in all eternity and with all your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the forgiveness of sin. You're not gonna, your trespasses are not going to be counted against you. They were counted against him. It's eternal hope. It's eternal peace. It's everything. And Jesus is handing it to him like, I hand Laura a ring and a promise, and he's saying it's true. Yes, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love you. I'm going to come back and get you, but you need to look at it. I know you know it, but you need to look at it. You need to remember that my love was epithemia, epithemies. It's not just this casual thing. It's saying to you, I love you with the most deepest, richest, sacrificial love there is. And you need to look at it because I'm not going to be here in the flesh to eat it with you. The foundation for a new era is laid. A new sacrifice brings a new era of fresh fulfillment. That's why in the famous passage, Isaiah 53, at the very end of it, it says, after it says he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities, he received the chastisement that brought us peace. At the end of this passage, it says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Here's what you need to know, sinner. Jesus didn't save you because he didn't know how bad you were going to be. 
when he saved you, he saved you according to knowledge. He knew what you were going to do. He knew what he was paying for. He wasn't surprised. And that's comforting. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercessions for the transgressors. The spoil is divided with you. The new covenant blessing and reward is yours in Christ. It's as if he's saying, my child, I can tell you all day long of my love for you. But receive this. This is a love gift. Let it be tangible. Let you let it create struggling faith where there isn't. Let it bring about repentance when we're casual with our sin before God. When we come before this table, let us tremble as we do it. Thinking about the engagement, here's what Sinclair Ferguson says. You want to slow this event down dramatically? He says, here's the essence of the event. Jesus leaning in saying, I love you. And here is the ring to prove it. Let me place it on your finger. I love you. This bread, you know what it means. My body given for you. This wine, you know what it means. Blood poured out for you. Lord Jesus, I opened the door. Come sup with us. He said, if you slow down the event, that's the essence of the event. It's not just some ritual, some casual thing. Yeah, he gave me a ring. Big whoop. That's why we'll look at next week when the Corinthians got it wrong. And they came to this table, not discerning the body. They came to it casually. What was happening? They were getting sick. And many were dying. Because they came to that table casually. It would be like a couple saying, I want to renew my vows. I want to stand up, gather all the people in the church and renew our vows together. And both sides agree to it, except this side says, yeah, I'm cheating on you though. See how evil that is? How dangerous that is? That's why we examine ourselves and our hearts when we come to the table because we got to know what it means when you come to that table. You got to know what Jesus is saying to you. And the question is, of course you come to the table as a sinner. You don't clean yourself up. But are you a sinner that loves him and wants to stop? Wants to come to that table with a as clean a conscience as a person can? 
tell you one more thing Ferguson said, because I can't do better than him. He says, it's like a bride. She wants to look her best on her wedding day. It's not going to determine whether the groom takes her. But on your wedding day, you want to look good. So Christians don't come to the Lord's table saying, I got to earn God's favor for my life. But when we love him, we want to come with hearts that are tender and broken. Needing the Savior, clinging to the Savior as though this is my hope. And then we see in the richness of this love that is being shared at this meal, it's set against the dark backdrop of the betrayal of Judas. Look at the quick transition in 21. But you got this sweet thing happening. But behold, the the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. He says, I'm going to die. That's been determined by the scriptures. That's been determined. But woe to the man who looks at this love in the face and says, give me 30 pieces of silver instead. That's evil. It's like what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 2, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken the fountain of living water and they've hewn out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. They put effort and work into a broken well and they're thirsty, they're thirsty. And they look at the dust here and they look at the fountain of living water and Israel said, I'll take the dusty, dry well. And that's what Judas did with Christ. And it should bring a weightiness. What a meal, huh? What a meal this is. The execution we've already been talking to. This is his body. This is his blood. He's going to the cross. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. God the Father killed Christ with his omnipotent wrath was poured out on Christ on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And we have the expectation. You know, it's 16 and 18, right? For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And here, I just... I'll admit, covenant theologians, men I love, they they don't want to see any sign come back after Christ has come, after he's died on the cross and risen into heaven. But Jesus does not say, I tell you, I will not eat it ever again because I just fulfilled it. But what he says is, He won't eat this Passover until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he says it in 18 about the drink. 
There's an anticipation. He says, this brotherhood we've had face to face on this earth, we will do it again. It will happen again. I am coming again. And so when Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper, he says we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And then we eat with him and we feast with him and we see him face to face. It's anticipation. Why do we have these puny little cups and this little piece of bread and with with COVID, it even got more pathetic. We're, we're peeling off a plastic thing. We're grabbing a little cracker. And someone might say, this is horrific. Look at what Christ did for us. It's supposed to be. This is the hors d'oeuvres. This is little compared to what it's going to be when we feast with Christ Laura doesn't look at her ring and say, if you love me, it should be bigger. It should be more expensive. It should be all this. It's not how big the piece of bread is or how good it tastes or the grape juice. And by the way, nowhere in the Bible does it say wine. It says fruit of the vine. So we're good, Baptists. Gets translated wine, but it says fruit of the vine. So we're all right. There, we'll talk about that next week. But there's expectation. So at this meal, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also, and you know where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He desired to eat this meal with his friends, and Christian, listen to me. He desired to eat this with you. This is the Lord's Supper given to you. Because at this supper, at the end of his high priestly prayer, listen to what Jesus says. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, I'm going to be with you again. I'm sending you my spirit. I'll never leave you and forsake you on this earth. I gave you this supper. I gave you this promise in the signs and ordinances. Baptism and communion. But he says it's not only for you. It's for all those who will believe in me because you were witnesses and you went and preached the gospel. So while you might wish you were there and while you might wish, man, I wish I had that kind of fellowship with other brothers in Christ. 
Jesus is saying, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about you when I die. You come to this table, you should have this brotherhood in this church. You should share what we shared. And I'm coming and I'm going to eat with you and we're going to have that together. And so at the end of the Gospel of John, Thomas, who had a hard time believing it could be true, this is, should be encouragement for you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do, you, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus says there's people that are even more blessed. And there are people that have never seen me in the flesh. But they've seen me in the preaching of the gospel. And they've seen me at the communion table. And they know I love them. Blessed are those who have never seen yet still believe. And this meal is only for one type of person. And that is a sinner who can't do it on their own and needs a Savior. So I don't know what you're thinking in your mind of why Christ can't forgive you. But it's not true. Will you have Him? Will you humble yourself before Christ and say, if I die apart from Christ, I'm going to pay the just punishment for my own sins. Or do you want to be found in Christ? Do you want your death to be his death on the cross in your place? Because that second cup, this signifies the wrath of God, signifies that blood that was put over the doorpost, few hours later, Jesus is standing in that garden. Take this cup from me. Not my will, your will be done. And Christ takes the cup of wrath that you and I deserve and he drinks down every last drop of that cup so that he can tell to us Christians, drink the cup of blessing. Drink the cup of redemption in my Blood, the new covenant in my blood. Celebrate together. Encourage one another. Father, I pray that no one here would swing off into eternity in their own merits, but that everyone here would recognize that for God so loved the world, you sent your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In love, You sent Christ. In love, Christ willingly laid down His life for us. Father, thank You that You don't just tell us words, but You give us symbols. Thank You, Father, that we can see Christ in the flesh, in one another as the Holy Spirit ministers to one another the gospel. Father, I pray that this would always be a rich 
rich supper we have together. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.